Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. So glad you're here. We, uh, we're starting our series, Church in the Wild. I preach one or two of these a year, not Church in the Wild series, but one or two series a year when we actually explore the, the idea of who church might be for. Because you think it's for somebody, your neighbor thinks it's for somebody else, and Jesus might have uh, an opinion about it too, who church is for. I'll start, uh, start with a sermon I've called Obsession. 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 Everybody's obsessed about something. I'm uh, Pastor Corey. If we haven't met, um, if we haven't met, come to NXT to the intro today. If you want to know what's next for me, you're interested more in Venue Church at 12 noon. We have a 15 minute introduction, and then two weeks from now, if you go through the NXT stuff, we have a pastor's lunch where Aaron and I. Where's Pastor Aaron right now? There she is. All right. Where you get to meet us, and we get to meet you, and spend a little time just face to face, and we also feed you, so that's a pretty good deal. Um, but I am uh, obsessed with Liverpool Football Club. <laughs> you didn't know. You didn't know, but now you know. I'm obsessed with the Liverpool winning, and I'm obsessed with everybody else losing. Everybody. Manchester City lost to a team called Norwich yesterday. You don't know who Norwich is, but Man City managed to lose to them. <laughs> Proof that if you'd serve Jesus, you'd cheer for the right football clubs in England. I'm just saying, everybody. If you don't understand a person's obsession, you don't understand the person. You think about it. If you don't understand your little girl's obsession with well, my family, uh, they're obsessed with, my kids are all obsessed with Marvel movies. Anybody like Marvel movies in the house here? I, I heard the other day on the way to school from Katie that Spider-Man is now going to be Sony and out of Marvel or something. I heard the whole spiel. And I'm like, how would you even know something like that? I'm like, oh, right, because they're obsessed with Marvel movies. It, if you don't understand a person's obsession, you don't understand a person. You have to understand their obsession. Right or wrong, you have to understand it or you want to understand uh, the person. And everybody is obsessed with something. You're, you're, you're thinking like my teenage son is not obsessed with anything. He just sleeps until noon every, every day that he can. You know, he's obsessed with sleeping in. He's obsessed with being lazy. He's a, if you, some people are obsessed with going to school. Like I love education. I just love homework. I just love doing all this. I mean, proof that we need more Jesus, everybody. <laughs> I hate homework. I hate learning stuff. As soon as you call it educational, I don't, I'm not having fun anymore. Everybody's obsessed with something. You have to know. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell girls, like, if your husband is obsessed with golf, you have to know, understand his obsession with it to really understand him. Or, or if he's obsessed with, with work. I mean, work takes up a lot of a guy's lifespan, and it's important to us. You'll never really understand us until you understand that. Guys, you want more connection uh, with, with your wife. What kind of things is she obsessed about? This obsession, this unspoken thing that maybe you've never actually, it's not tangible, you don't really understand it. Some of you are obsessed with just not being alone. Some of you are obsessed with um, 
we got any single ladies in the house of finding the perfect man. You can laugh a little bit louder of finding the perfect man. I can guarantee that whoever uh, put the word perfect and man together, I can guarantee was not a man, everybody. I mean, have you ever met one of us? The perfect man, he's going to sweep me off my feet. He might, but it will be by accident. Lunging for a hot dog. Can we get the house lights up just a little bit, just so I can see people? Not too much, but... Obsession. If you don't understand a person's obsession, you don't understand a person. Also, my clock is not working here, so now I'm going to preach till whenever I feel like it. <laughs> if you don't understand somebody's obsession, you don't understand the person. The first time, the, the first time uh, Aaron and I, Pastor Aaron and I, the first time we ever went on a date, you want to hear about it? Yeah. I tell this story like once a year. The first time that we ever went on a, a date, now I've lost all my slides. Um, the first time, they're, they're back, but the timer's not back. Uh, the first time that we ever went on like a date date, I'm like, okay, I'm going to pick you up. She lived in Calgary with some, some girls in, in a house, and I'm like, I'm going to pick you up at whatever time. And I got there on time, everybody, because I'm obsessed with being on time. One time, come on, I'm obsessed with being on time. We got any? It's a matter of honor. The way of the samurai or something, I don't know. It was just, my dad was always on time for everything, and one time Aaron showed up for a later date, an hour and a half after the date was supposed to start. And I just assumed that she was dead on the highway because why else would you be an hour and a half late for anything? Or at least two broken limbs. I couldn't understand why anybody could not get there in a timely fashion to a date with the perfect man. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the problem. One time Aaron, she... Um, I love Aaron, but you'll never understand Pastor Aaron until you've seen her... Um, how do I say this properly without offending any church people? Until you've seen her lose her Holy Spirit when she loses something. <laughs> Is that the right? I feel like it's accurate. If she misplaces something or loses it, she goes to this dark place, everybody. <laughs> There's no Jesus in there, man. There's this weird little dark place in there where all she can think about, everything that, that comes through her brain and everything in her entire body and psyche and emotions has to do with the thing that was missing. And so I, I pick her up in the first date, and I stand in the entry of the house. So I come into this little entry in the house, and I stand here, and she's like, I'll be right with you. I just need to find my boots. I have a favorite pair of, of boots. And she goes back in the house, and I could hear her kind of rummaging through the house, you know, like when something's happening, or you're, you, know, you watch like the dinosaur movies, and they're coming through the trees and stuff, and I can kind of hear this noise coming through the house. You know. And time starts ticking away, and she goes to her room, and then I assume she goes to the next person's room, and then in the living room, she's looking for her boots, and she can't find her boots anywhere, because maybe one of her roommates borrowed them, which she knew probably 30 seconds into the journey. And she kept coming, then she'd come upstairs and go around the house, and then I could hear her getting, like, angrier and angrier, and then she'd go back downstairs again in case she missed something, and go back through the rooms, and go back through the rooms. I love telling this story, and she says that I can't. It's true. She just said. And she, she so obsessed, she couldn't find this thing, and, and okay... The clock starts ticking. Five minutes goes by. Guys, five minutes for Pastor Corey is like five years for some of you all. <laughs> I've been described as a patient man. No. <laughs> Long-suffering. <laughs> compassionate. And merciful. And gentle. <laughs> Ten minutes goes by. Fifteen minutes goes by. Come on, come on. Twenty minutes goes by. A half an hour goes by. 
She denies it to this day. I stood in that entry for one hour of my life. I've never stood anywhere in one hour for my life. That I was in my mother's womb for nine months is a miracle, but I have not stopped moving since. One hour of my life, I stood in that entryway while she looked for the lost boots. You will never understand her until you understand that she cannot let go. Now, I, by the time I did see the boots, it wasn't that date because she couldn't find them because they weren't in the house. I didn't even like them all that much, but I never had the heart to tell her. Like, I don't even think those are great boots, but whatever. You got this thing for these boots. Finally, I hollered from the entry. I'm, uh, I just hollered. First date, everybody. Can we just get in the car? I'll buy you a new pair of boots. <laughs> Nobody care about boots anymore. Let's just go. I don't, money, I don't care. I just want to go. I, just want to go. I could feel like my, my brain was trying to pull a shoot on me and just be like, dude, she a bit crazy. <laughs> but if you come to church today and you're not sure if there's a God, that should be conclusive proof that there is a Holy Spirit on the earth and God our Father is in heaven because I stayed in that and found myself a wife. A good woman. Now, wait, are you clapping for me or being patient or are you clapping for Aaron? What? No. I feel like that's horribly unfair. Years go by, we have four beautiful daughters, and our third girl, Katie, I got a phone call one time coming across town. I got a phone call saying from Aaron, I can't find Katie. Everybody, you thought boots were bad. <laughs> I can't find Katie. I've been all over the neighborhood. We, I got the church secretary at the time. I got the, we're looking all over the place. We can't find Katie. This is like 20 minutes into this. We can't find Katie, and I can feel the panic starting to rise in her voice. Have you ever, parents, you can be honest here, it's a safe place. What happens in Venue Church stays in Venue Church. Have you ever lost a kid anywhere? <laughs> Nasty lost a kid one time in the mall. She lost, you know, in those little things, it's at Cross Iron here, that little thing where they show the, shine the lights on the thing. It's like designed for you to lose your children because your children are just running wild all over the place and then one makes a break for it and there's all these kids and you can't just take any kid home. <laughs> Although some days... And she lost one of her kids, and then she goes to somebody who's like on security or something, right? And she's like, help me find my baby. And the person's response was, like, just super chill. <laughs> you know, like, your baby will turn up. You're going to turn up in a landfill if I don't get my baby. You get on that walkie-talkie, I'm going to tear your arms off and beat you with them until I find my baby. Now, how unusual would it be uh, for Nasty or for Aaron, you know, you lose a kid at the mall and, uh, and then you go back in the car and you're like, well, for us, it's like, well, you know, we still got three kids in the car. <laughs> it's not bad. It's not three out of four. Like, it's passing. Tell you what we'll do. We'll spend, uh, we'll spend the rest of our lives just loving these kids, taking that, that, that love that we would have for that child, we'll just spend it on these three. And it's not bad, right? If you only got two kids, you don't know. All the single people are horrified. They're like, oh my goodness. How are these people parents? Yeah. You don't know, everybody. Someday you'll lose a kid at Ikea. I lost Katie at Ikea one time, too. Only this was easier on my emotions because I didn't even know she was gone until they brought her back. <laughs> Code 99 in children. I'm like, somebody lost a kid, had a little laugh, and then I saw Katie coming with the staff. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Do not tell, past, do not tell my wife. 
Oh, I did it. That was me. There's this thing that you have to understand about a person. Is that you have to understand their, their obsession. See, I think that you're here just to, to do two things, connect with God and connect with people, but you can't connect with either until you understand their obsession. Am I right? Until you understand that thing that gets under their fingernails and their obsession. You'll never understand your children, your husband, your friends until you understand what it is that they're obsessed about. Now, it's interesting to note that some people are obsessed about all the wrong things. You're like, yeah, I spent a lot of my life being obsessed about the wrong things. You can't replace an obsession with something wrong with nothing at all. That's not how you replace an addiction. That's not how you replace, that's not how you get rid of it. You get rid of a bad obsession by replacing it with a good one. You, you, get, it's, you don't replace it with nothing because then eventually the bad obsession will come out. You have to replace it with a good addiction to something. You've been looking at all the wrong stuff. Well, now you need to look at all the right stuff. You've been worshiping all the old gods of pleasure and all the old gods of escaping pain and sin. Now you need to find a different, <laughs> the God, the one and living God, and replace all that old unrighteousness with righteousness and get up obsessed with it. You should never understand a person until you understand uh, their obsession. This series, I'm going to kind of give you a, a little background uh, tour uh, of Venue Church and why it might look different from maybe the church that you grew up in or maybe you didn't grow up in any church and you think that this is normal. <laughs> is this normal, everybody? <laughs> I don't think it's super normal. You need to understand something about venue church because if you don't understand what your church is obsessed by then you'll never understand your church and there will be something that will just kind of sit in the back of your mind and it will begin to annoy you if you don't understand our obsession with something see when you come in uh, to life or you come into a relationship or you you move jobs and you come in and what happens is you come in with a blueprint of what your last job looked like or your last relationship, or whatever, your last church. You come in with a blueprint. Next week, I'm going to talk about this, this blueprint thing. It's just going to be the whole sermon. You come in with a blueprint, and your boss, or your new date, or your new friend comes like, thanks for this blueprint, but here's what we're building. Right? You come into a new church, and you come in with an old blueprint. Oh, come back next week. You're going to... Yes, that blueprint is perfectly designed to get you that type of a building, that type of a structure, that type of an organization, that type of a company, that type of a church, that type of a family. But what about what God has called this church to do? So we go, thank you very much for this blueprint. Here's what God told us to build, though. We can't build what God told us to build with that blueprint. It doesn't work for us. So think about church like a, an ice cream shop where, where everybody's making ice cream and everybody's and ice cream is all awesome. So every church is awesome and doing great things for God. But every flavor is different. Now, I can't make the kind of ice cream here that God called us to make with those ingredients. Right? This is blowing your mind. Church is ice cream? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's already in. There, there has to be this understanding of an obsession. We have a sentence here that I'm just going to tell you is our underlying obsession to everything that we do that a life saved is worth everything. No, you don't mean everything. We actually mean everything. It's worth the biggest risk that we could take as a church. It's worth every cent in the church bank account. It's worth every drop of my blood. One life saved is worth everything because my life was worth everything to Christ and he bled out for it. 
And how could this church not look like that? There's something, a life saved is worth everything, and that's so important to us. In Luke 15, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, here's uh, an interesting thing, because you come to Jesus, and um, you come with a blueprint of what your relationship with God should look like. Some of you would say that I'm far from God, or I'm exploring faith, or I grew up in church, and then I got bitter, and then I left, and I... At first, I was just leaving church, but it turns out I was kind of leaving God, too. I just didn't know. Help me preach a little. I didn't know that I was eventually going to leave both. You can't leave the body of Christ and not leave Christ in some, some regard. And I hear this sometimes. Uh, the church has hurt me. Well, yes, it's hurt you because it's a family, and there's pain in family. Anybody have a perfect family? <laughs> It might shock you to know that the church has hurt the pastor more than it's hurt anybody else. <laughs> Come on, everybody. And yet, here we are. There, there's, you come to God with a blueprint of who you want to be, which may or may not be who you should be. I mean, the worst thing in the world is for you to end up like you maybe want to be and dream about being when it's not who you should be, who God made you to be. And then you come in with this blueprint of who God's supposed to be. Well, God, I was kind of hoping that you would be like super interested in this and super not interested in that. And, oh, you want me to obey? Well, I'm not really interested in obedience. So, And so we come in with this blueprint of who God ought to look like, which is mostly who you are. And then you're like, here, build a Franken-Jesus for me. Build me a Franken-Jesus on this blueprint. And God's like, you know what? Uh, thank you for your blueprint of who you think that I should be. But here's who I am. Because this God here can't save you. This God here is a bit weak. He only likes the things that you like. But who I am could actually shift everything. It could shift the world on its axis. And it could, it could change the course of your life and the course of your family and your relationships and history. And it, it could literally change everything, redeem sins, bring people actually into their destinies. But this will only make you kind of weird like you already are. And, and these people come to Jesus, the tax collectors and, and notorious sinners often came to, G, to listen to Jesus teach. Now, this shows us a little bit about what church ought to be like, because um, Jesus wasn't soft, and he preached like, repent, everybody. Like, what you're doing is not pleasing to my Father. I can forgive your sins, but my goodness, we've got to like go and sin no more, right? You've tried that in the past, but you, have you done it in the power of the Holy Spirit who can change you from the inside out? Now, it's a journey, but there's also this like, hey, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, everybody. God is a righteous God. God is a holy God. He's not your homeboy. That's right. That's right. The, the Son of God is the Prince of the universe. And it says, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law. Now I'm going to preach to church people a bit. And if you're like new to church, you haven't been back in a while, you're going to like this. It made them complain that he was associating with such sinful people. Even eating with them. <laughs> like that's the worst thing you can do with sinful people? I don't know. <laughs> Nobody else been thinking about that? I've been thinking about that. Even eating with them. Oh my goodness, no. They shared a sandwich. <laughs> there exists... <laughs> See, every church eventually turns in on itself. Let me preach a bit here. I, I'm a pastor's kid. I get it. Every church eventually turns in on itself. It's my job to turn it back out where it belongs. Because when you turn in on yourself, you get really, really weird. 
And then the most important thing to you is not your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus yet. It's the lobby music. And why isn't your favorite song playing out there? And only Frank and Jesus cares about that, everybody. But the real Jesus is like, you know what? He's in the assembly of, of worshipers, but he's here mostly because lost people are here too. But when the door is open, then he's out there. And he's actually out at your job tomorrow. He's in your classroom tomorrow because somebody there needs him. And that's why you're there. Not to pull yourself out to create this safe church for your family where your kids never get tempted with anything. And Is that safety? I don't know. I thought we were called to be soldiers. I thought we were called to on a rescue mission, not on a cruise ship. And if the pastor spends all his time like making sure everybody's okay all the time, oh my goodness. We go into heaven, everybody. Maybe you forgot. We get it all. I get it. This world may have suffering, but I get it all in the end, and so do you. We will have a block party in heaven, but let's make sure that there's enough people at the block party. It says, even eating with them. <laughs> now, he's talking about the Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are simply um, church people who think that they're the customer. When the server forgets that they're supposed to be serving tables and they think they're the customer. Because one day you came to God and you had nothing to give him and you knew it. And you needed this sin dealt with and you didn't know what to do. And somebody paved your way to get there and served you a little bit of, invited you to church. Invited you into their home. Invited you into their life and just started talking to you and started praying for you. And you were the customer and you had nothing to offer. And then give it a few years, and now you still think you're the customer? No, there's this transition that has to happen. And he's talking to to people who think they're the customers, but they're supposed to be waiting tables. And they get mad at all the wrong things. And so he tells them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? And they're like, well, he'll play the percentage. He'll just be like, three out of four kids is not bad. I got 99 kids over here, so I'm going to spend all my time with them. But the thing is, they have each other, and this one's got nobody. Now watch what Jesus himself is obsessed with. He's trying to get into this consumeristic mentality that, that, look guys, church can be a little about you, but not a lot. We say that right in our NXT, right in our membership. Like, it can be a little bit about you, but any family that's all about one kid gets real weird real quick. And God, your heavenly father, does not raise spoiled children. My kids know that our family is not about our family. That might be one of the reasons why we're maybe healthy. Because we don't think that we're the customer. He says, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness? And all these church people are like, whoa, 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 leave us. And go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it. Jesus is like, you need to understand how my father in heaven thinks. And when he is founded, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in the sheepfold. There is more joy in the church. No, there is more joy in heaven. In heaven. Over one sinner. One lost sinner who repents and returns to God, then over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. 
Come on now. There's more joy over one person going public with their faith than in everybody else still going to heaven. There's more joy in heaven. And yet we're supposed to pray. Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wouldn't tell you to pray like that if that wasn't possible. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect down here, but like that's the goal that what heaven values, we would value, particularly in the church. There's more joy in, there better be more joy in church over the one person who shows up for the first time. There, there better be more joy like, oh, how did you get them to church? I never thought I would see that person at church. I'm thinking about Michelle right there, and I'm thinking about, I never thought we would see that person in church, and how on earth did you get them? We gave them free food. We, we bought mini donuts. We bribed them. We bribed our teenagers. We, do, we bought them video games. We just got them in the door somehow. We arranged a date with Jesus. And just like, and then come back for the second date and the third. And once you meet Jesus, everything changes. It's, it's interesting. I, I want to kind of close my sermon today with, with uh, if you grew up in church or Sunday school, you may have heard this account in, in the New Testament of Paul and, and Silas when they got thrown into jail. Does anybody remember that? If, if you're new to faith, that's totally fine, or you're just exploring Read it. I um, can't remember where it is in the book of Acts, but I think it was in a, a town called Philippi. What happened was Paul and Silas were there telling people about Jesus. And, um, and a slave girl was tormented uh, by the devil. And a slave girl was so tormented that they did a good deed and freaked a bunch of people in town out and then um, because the slave girl was, was earning money for some people, they created a huge fuss, and they got Paul and Silas thrown into jail. Does anybody remember this story? Read it this uh, week. It says uh, they were um, stripped of their clothes, beaten severely with rods. This was the world back then. They had proclaimed Christ, and it wasn't free. Uh, see, salvation is free, but everything else is going to cost you. They were giving a message to somebody else. See, here they were. They were safe and sound in the house of God. They were safe and sound. They were going to heaven. They had connection with God in the next life because they had connection with God in this life, and that's how that works. See, a relationship with God is not paved through good works. There's no amount of good that you can do that would impress him enough to make you part of his family. That's not how family works. The only way to be adopted into the family of God is for Jesus to pay for your sins so that there's some sort of common ground. Those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And when Jesus died for you and you declare him as Lord, then his spirit comes into you and there's common ground. As sinful as you are, your sins are forgiven somehow. And and because for your sin, uh, your life was due. For every sin, sin cannot be done away with without the, remember the Old Testament, the sacrifices without the shedding of blood. There, there can't be a way to cover sin, but when Jesus came, the perfect spotless lamb, the perfect man, everybody, 
sinless son of the living God. He died on a cross with your sin and my sin on him. And then he made a way for you and I to be adopted into his family. And what he did was he signed the adoption papers for your neighbors and for your brother and for your husband. And he signed the adoption papers for your teenage kids and their friends. He signed them all. But the only way that, that they can actually put somebody in relationship is if you receive that into your own life. Because you might be adopted and not know it. You might be adopted and living outside of the family because you haven't chosen to be adopted yet. Can I, can I hear an amen? Is this making sense? And Paul and Silas, see, they had been adopted, but it wasn't going to be enough because this whole city had not been adopted yet. And they didn't know that the adoption papers had been signed. And so they, they willingly allowed themselves to be beaten because what you don't know about them is that they were both Roman citizens. Now, Rome... Roman citizens were like up here and everybody else was down here. You could not touch a Roman citizen ever. They had to go through a proper trial. But you know the might and power of Rome? If you ever used that against a Roman citizen, all of Rome would come against you. You did not touch a Roman citizen. There were not many of them and you did not. They were the special ones. And Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, but they still accepted the beating without opening their mouths. Why would anybody do that? Because the Holy Spirit hadn't told them to stand up for themselves. The Holy Spirit had another play. He, he had a trap set for the trap of the devil. But to get there, to get to the place where God wanted them to get to, they had to walk through the beating and they ended up in, in a jail at midnight. Their hands and feet were bound in stocks. Their backs were bleeding. And it says that they started singing and praying. In spite of their freedom, they took the chain of the people in the prison. They took the chain of the worst of them. Christ follower, they took the chain of the neighbor in the most, the darkest pit of hell. They took the the chain on themselves that they didn't even need anymore. They took the chain that they were free of, but they took it upon themselves willingly, church. They took it upon themselves willingly because that's where the Holy Spirit wanted them. And they started praying and they started singing. Waking up, knowing there's a reason. I I got out of my emotions. I got out of my need. I got out of my health because health is for helping. I got out of what I needed to get through this life and I started realizing, what about all of these beside me? All my dreams come alive. Life is for living with you, Jesus. I've made my decision. See, I made a decision a long time ago that I was going to, if you wanted me here in jail today, then I was going to be here in jail today and there would be grace for it. And, and then what happened is all the prison started shaking because the Holy Spirit showed up on sight and the prison started shaking and all the chains fell off the prisoners and all the doors sprang wide open. And the jailer rushes in because the jailer knows that these are very important people to the authorities. And he rushes in and it says he's ready to kill himself. He's ready to do himself in because that's what's going to happen anyways. And he's ready to just end it all. And Paul, listen, Paul and Silas are like, stop, stop. We talked everybody into staying for you. The jailer falls on his knees and he's like, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says this thing to him. He's like, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you and get this, get this, get this, get this. And all of your family. We're not okay if one kid is still in the mall. 
and everybody in this jail and everybody in this city and everybody in your family, if you believe in Jesus, you can all be saved. That's why we're here. A life saved is worth everything. Heavenly Father, I pray that for anybody who has maybe wrongfully put on you that there is no burden to bear to help people, that you would just change our minds right now and show us that Jesus did, the best Jesus had did, and you're going to call us to do that as well, Father. And I pray that we would accept the chain and the weight of the, the chain and the weight of our neighbors, oh God. And the weight of not knowing you, God. For, for all of the trouble in our lives, there, there are those who have no hope of the future, no hope of salvation, no hope of adoption, no hope of connection because they just don't know yet. And I pray, Father, that as we go to work tomorrow, and as we eat at a restaurant today, and as we go to school, that we would understand that I'm going to have to share in their suffering. I need to be where they are because there's so much more for them that they don't know about yet. I can't just separate myself from them and live happy and healthy because all of my happiness and health is for helping. And I pray, Father, that we would make a decision as a church family right now that no matter how heavy the chains are, no, how, no matter how badly we're bruised, oh God, that we are going to sing in the night, that we are going to pray and offer up a, a decision to worship the Lord our God so that other people could be saved in this city, God, that we would uh, treat them to the love of Jesus Christ in the midst of our pain. And in that, Father, you will heal us. And in that, you will help us. And in that, you will make our families healthy. In that, you will fix our marriages. And now you will fix our kids, God. And that, you will give us purpose, Lord, which is to connect with you and to connect with people. Amen. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.